gosh, y'all, I don't want my mind to be anesthetized, and I certainly don't want the minds of my readers that way. I want to awaken them and myself with meaningful writing and ideas. I said earlier that the decadence of our language is probably curable. Those who deny this would argue, if they produce an argument at all, that language merely reflects existing social conditions and that we cannot influence its development by any direct tinkering with words and constructions. So far as the general tone or spirit of language goes, this may be true, but it is not true in detail. Silly words and expressions have often disappeared, not through any evolutionary process, but owing to the conscious actions of a minority. Two recent examples were explore every avenue and leave no stone unturned, which were killed by the jeers of a few journalists. There is a long list of fly-blown metaphors, which would similarly be got rid of if enough people would interest themselves in the job. And it should also be possible to laugh at the not-unformation out of existence. And then we have a little footnote here. One can cure oneself of the not-unformation by memorizing this sentence. <laughs> a not-unblack dog was chasing a not-unsmall rabbit across a not-ungreen field. That's ridiculous. Uh, let's see. We could laugh the non-unforgotten, un, not unformation out of existence to reduce the amount of Latin and Greek in the average sentence. Okay, so this says sounds like these are steps we could do. We could get rid of fly-blown metaphors to get rid of the not unformation. The third one to reduce the amount of Latin and Greek in the average sentence. Fourth to drive out foreign phrases. and strayed scientific words in five in general to make pretentiousness unfashionable. But all these are minor points. The defense of the English language implies more than this, and perhaps it is best to start by saying what it does not imply. To begin, it has nothing to do with archaism, with the salvaging of obsolete words in terms of speech or with the setting up of a standard English, which was, must never be departed from. On the contrary, it is especially concerned with the scrapping of every word or idiom which has outworn its usefulness. It has nothing to do with correct grammar and syntax, which are of no importance so long as one makes one's meaning clear, or with the avoidance of Americanisms, or having what is called good prose style. On the other hand, it is not considered with fake simplicity in the attempt to make written English colloquial. Nor does one it even imply, in every case, preferring the Saxon word to the Latin one, though it does imply using the fewest and shortest words that will cover one's meaning. What is above all needed is to let the meaning choose the word and not the other way around. In prose, the worst thing one can do with words is surrender to them. When you think of a concrete object, you don't think wordlessly. And then, if you want to describe the thing you have been visualizing, you possibly hunt about it until you find the exact words that seem to fit it. 
when you think of something abstract, you are more inclined to use words from the start. And unless you make a conscious effort to prevent it, the existing dialect will come to rushing in and do the job for you at the expense of blurring or even changing your meaning. Possibly, it is better to put off using words as long as possible and get one's meaning as clear as one can through pictures and sensations. Afterward, one can choose, not simply accept, the phrases that will best cover the meaning and then switch round and decide what impression one's words are likely to make on another person. This left effort of the mind cuts out all stale or mixed images, all prefabricated phrases, needless repetitions, and humbug and vagueness generally. But one can often be in doubt about the effect of a good word or phrase, and one needs rules that one can rely on when instinct fails. I think the following rules will cover most cases. Number one, never use a metaphor, simile, or other figure of speech which are used to seeing in print. Number two, never use a long word where a short one will do. Number three, if it is possible to cut a word out, always cut it out. Never use the passive voice where you can use the active. Never use a foreign phrase, a scientific word, or a jargon word if you can think of an everyday English equivalent. Break any of those rules sooner than to say anything outright barbarous. These rules sound elementary, and so they are, but they demand a deep change of attitude in anyone who has grown used to writing in the style now fashionable. One could keep all of them and still write bad English, but one could not write the kind of stuff that I quoted in those five specimens at the beginning of this article. I have not been here considering the literary use of language, but merely language as an instrument for expressing and not concealing or preventing thought. Stuart Chase and others have come near to claiming that all abstract words are meaningless and have used this as a pretext for advocating a kind of political quietism. Since you don't know what fascism is, how can you struggle against fascism? One need not swallow such absurdities as this, but one ought to recognize that the present political chaos is connected with the decay of language and that one can probably bring about some improvement by starting at the verbal end. If you simplify your English, you are freed from the worst follies of orthodoxy. You cannot speak any of the necessary dialects, and when you make a stupid remark, its stupidity will be obvious, even to yourself. Political language and the variations of this is true of all political parties, from conservatives to anarchists, is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable and to give an appearance of solidarity and pure wind. One cannot change this all in a moment, but one can at least change one's own habits. And from time to time, one can even, if one jeers loudly enough, send some worn out and useless phrase, some jackboot, Achilles heel, hotbed, melting pot, acid test, veritable inferno, or other lump of verbal refuse, into the dustbin 
where it belongs.